0: Welcome to Visionaries, I'm your host Jacob Wolf, an award-winning investigative journalist and CEO of Overcome. I am joined today by Prem and we are going to be sharing our interview from December, November? No, November with Anthony Fantano, who is the most popular music critic on the internet. I really loved this interview when we did it at the time. Fantano is like super refreshing. I think talking about kind of the bigger trend of YouTube content, music criticism at the time. There was uh, some beef between him and Drake also that had come up. So we covered that a little bit in the episode. It was a good discussion. This is like one of my favorite episodes. And now that we have more listeners and a bigger audience than what we had at the time, I wanted to resurface it. Cause I think this is one that people would just enjoy listening to if they didn't listen to it in the past and go through the back catalog frame thoughts. What, what did you think of this interview?
1: I mean, I am someone who's been, a, a Fantano fan for over a decade, basically at this point. So on my end, I was just I was ecstatic that we could we could get him. It was terrifyingly easy. It was it was far too easy to to get Fantano, and it was very much on that Drake thing. I, I it happened, and I think it it happened late at night. And I I like eleven p.m. message you, and I'm like, I think we have to get Fantano. And within like a day, we had it locked down. His contact or his his perspectives on media, especially YouTube, obviously, they're incredible. He's been around for so long and he is the preeminent person when it comes to to music reviews, music culture, kind of uh, uh, commentary. He, he has a perspective on his industry that I think is, is crucial to understanding other industries as well. Like gaming content, as much as it's been around for over a decade, I mean, gaming content in its kind of more modern form has been around since the like uh, video game music videos from the mid 2000s. It is growing, and 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 Fantano was able to kind of provide a lot of perspective on on the music YouTube that I think can be brought over to gaming YouTube, can be brought over to nerd culture, to comic books, Star Wars, whatever.
0: Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about this episode, I think of a lot of our episodes as dualities, right? Where they like you hear people talk about different things, but there's shared overlap. This episode has a lot of overlap with the Hutch episode, even though they are two very different topics, because both Fantano and Hutch are OG YouTubers. They have seen the growth of YouTube being a much more niche community to YouTube being a significantly huge website that is like the cultural driver of so much of what people do every single day. Now, even even with TikTok, YouTube holds that spot in a different way, especially when it comes to long form content. And when it comes to money, I think that's really intriguing too. like, you know, YouTube is the money driver for a lot of online content creators, whereas sort of short form content hasn't figured out how to monetize appropriately. So I think like if you're listening to this, I would also recommend going back through the library and finding the Hutch episode because they do kind of play part one and part two together from two different people with similar perspectives of that come up and how the industry has changed being an Internet content creator, too. Hold on,
1: go through the library. Jacob, we can put it in the show notes. We'll just put it in the show notes. We will put it in the show notes. You can't see it because this is an audio-only format. I'm pointing down at where the show notes would be if this was a video. Uh, Yeah, we'll just put it in the show notes.
0: Yeah, so click that, too, after you listen to this one. Definitely listen to the Hutch episode. Hutch is great. I spoke to him this week as well, and it's uh, it's always good to talk to Hutch. Um, I definitely would like to have him back on the show another time later, later on the road, and Fantana, too. They both have been really great. So we'll dive into the interview with Fantano. Enjoy the lesson. We really enjoyed this one. Before we get into it, though, just a quick reminder, all as always, and I've seen more and more of these on Spotify. So thank you, Spotify people. We appreciate you. We have been getting more ratings and reviews on Spotify. We really could use them on Apple podcast, too. Even if you don't listen on Apple podcast, don't tell Apple that. But, you know, Apple podcast is super, super, super useful for discovery. Transparently, it is For all podcasters, the best way to get discovered and found on any podcast format, because it's really good at servicing new content. And it's also, even though Spotify is where a lot of our listener base is, because we have a lot of young people that listen to this podcast and they use Spotify as their predominant music and podcast player. Apple podcast is the biggest podcasting platform in the world. So if you are listening to this on any app, please, Apple podcast review on web, on your iPhone, on anything. It is super helpful to us, especially if you write one out and tell every them how much you love us. We love you, too. Thank you very much, though, for doing that. All the reviews are helpful. It doesn't matter the platform. We will now dive into our interview with Anthony Fantano. are delighted to be joined today by Anthony Fantano, who the New York Times called in 2020 the only music creator or music critic who matters to people under the age of 25. I think Anthony Fantano matters to a lot of people, but that you know that's flattering to be in the times saying that. But nonetheless, if you're unfamiliar with Anthony, I don't know how you wouldn't how you would be, but Anthony is one of the top music creator or music critics and creators on the internet, does a lot of content across YouTube. Uh, on a couple different channels, both the Needle Drop, which is his music review channel, and the Fantano channel, which is more of his personal opinions and takes on the music industry, commentary on the music industry. We'll, we'll start off easy. Fan ha- Fantano, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, be, be, Being popular with people 25
2: and under is not too bad. It beats uh, being popular with people 55 and over.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of like successful creators on this pod that are popular among Zoomers, and I think commercially, it makes a lot more sense. It does you're make more sense. You're a lot able to... Yeah, it's a generation that understands online advertising and wants to help you out and support you, etc. So that's super beneficial in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, so I, well, I want to start sort of towards a little bit of the beginning of your career. You know, we, a lot of the people that have been on this pod, a lot of and some of the others, Cutie Cinderella a couple of weeks ago. A lot of these folks are now popular on YouTube, but have been kind of more popular on YouTube and Twitch over the past like three to four years But we did have early on, probably the first like six weeks of the show, someone I would consider to be your contemporary, one of the early YouTubers, which was Hutch and who used to be, yeah, the first gaming YouTuber, or not the first gaming YouTuber, the first popular gaming YouTuber. He was one of the most successful creators on the platform back in 2009, 2010, which is when you started doing this. So walk me through the origin story of getting started on on YouTube and what drew you to creating in that medium.
2: Uh, wanting to actually make some kind of headway with the audience that I was seeking out. I mean, prior to doing YouTube, I was running a music blog and I was doing an NPR affiliated podcast and radio show, uh, both of which I was happy with as far as the content, but they weren't really kind of getting in front of the eyes and ears of the audience and the people I wanted it to be getting in front of the eyes and ears of. And, you know, just as a media consumer, I spent a lot of time on YouTube. I used to watch a lot of YouTube and I just figured maybe it was a place, maybe it was the place to try, you know, maybe like, I I guess at that point, maybe it had dawned on me that maybe I was kind of operating in a place where it was a little saturated or maybe I was just kind of doing the same thing as everybody else, or maybe kind of barking up the wrong tree because I was one of hundreds and hundreds of music blogs out there on the internet at the time that I was blogging. and. You know, while I was happy with the radio show and podcast that I was making, by that same token, an NPR station on a Saturday night at nine o'clock is probably not like the best time slot for the audience of people who are like primarily interested and passionate about the types of bands and records that I was talking about. You know, like the show did have some fans and I did get some very nice emails here and there about how happy they were with the program, but it, it just wasn't really the place for. That discourse to be happening and nor did i think youtube was the place because it's not like there was a music youtuber on the platform already sort of like paving the way you know um so i just figured i would just try it just experiment to see if maybe there there could be like you know a a start of like some kind of music discourse on on the platform
0: yeah, I remember YouTube back then and the people that were popular in the music space were actually just the musicians themselves and like a handful of labels, right, you know, right. like one of the the other, the other people that's been on the show is Mike Darlington, the, mm. the founder of Monstercat, who, you know, has always been one of the successful labels on YouTube, mm. the, sort of pioneering the space and working with MCNs and some of the other things that they've done more broadly. In terms of... When you realized this was truly gonna be something, when it when it went from just like you tr- experimenting, dabbling, w- when did that happen? What was the moment there that clicked? It's it's always been like a very
2: very very slow snowball, very 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 slow upward progression, like very incremental. But for me personally, the moment where it felt like something was when I was making enough money to pay to pay my rent, to pay rent doing it, you know or at least like you know, move into an apartment, that's when it sort of felt like, oh, this is like a job now. This is, I can work less at the pizza place. I can worry less about doing radio announcing and so on and so forth. Um, then when it was like starting to take over in that way, then it felt like a real thing.
0: Was there a specific music review, et cetera, that you saw, I know you said it was incremental, but one specific music review that caught, caught wind? Here and there, but like nothing that, you know, like immediately dwarfed
2: everything else that I was recording and uploading at the time. There are some reviews from that like early 2010, and maybe if I had left the videos up, I didn't, but from the 2009 era that over the years did like gain more, you know, views like the My Beautiful Darkness Fantasy review, for example. Um, But like back then, it wasn't significantly much more. It was like, again, it was a kind of a slow, upward climb like maybe you would get 50k more than some of the other stuff that i was doing i mean you have to keep in mind that like my whole first year on youtube it took my whole first year a whole year on youtube to get a thousand subscribers and then my second year yep. i had gotten to ten thousand and then i think by my third year i got to 50 and then it just like kind of just kind of went from there
0: kept going yeah yeah you know, it's interesting. I was like looking through kind of your catalog today, and I remember a lot of your videos over time. One of the ones that is most popular, I think, is from, I don't know if it's 2014 or 2015. It's the Topemba Butterfly review. I think that is still one of yeah, the most it's, popular. Yeah, that's my most popular videos. review. Yeah. Yeah. And also notably, in, and you're a, a pretty harsh critic, I think, in a, a positive way, but it's one of the few albums you've ranked extremely highly as well. Yeah, their, I think I've given
2: maybe six or seven albums a 10 over the years.
0: It's a wonderful album i I agree with it I agree with the the instinct I, I remember that album where I was et cetera it's one of those things that like sticks with you I think that's the special thing about music is that like it builds such a memory in a way that so many other entertainment experiences don't you know like you remember where you are when you first heard it you can remember where you are when you enjoyed it the the repeats et cetera if it's something truly magical like that i do I think it really does stick with you yeah probably because music is so
2: portable you know like it can really kind of be with you anywhere.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I want to talk a little bit about your rating system, and then I eventually want to talk about the critiques of it, etc. When you started to develop a rating system, because I think one of the things about a lot of music channels, music review channels in particular, and music criticism channels is that you know they're not like I found down a fell down a rabbit hole. I can't remember their channel name, and this is bad on me, but I fell down a rabbit hole of like, I think it was this Canadian. Got a teenager, and he like has his dad listen to like hip hop albums, like fairly. And and his dad's just like m- is a traditional musician. He's just like kind of blown away from. Him. So they've done a lot of the other albums you mm-hmm. reviewed. My beautiful dark just fantasy, you know, dip him a butterfly, yeah, good kid, mad city, mm-hmm. like uh, all sort of down the list of uh, Kendrick and Kanye and others. The but I feel like. What made you stand out so well is building the rating system that you have being a, and being able to back up. It's almost a science, right? Being able to back up. This is why I think it's this way. It's not just subjective, but really being able to kind of break it down. How did you come up with that? And sort of, it's almost like an algorithm, but like, how did you build that out to sort of have that hard and swift system?
2: You know, it's, it's not anything like crazier. It's, it's actually pretty simple. You know, I, I, I kind of just take two things into account when I'm trying to score a record overall. Like I will, like literally, average out my feelings on each individual track based on whether I loved it, hated it, or just kind of felt somewhere in between, and then I'll kind of, you know, again, just sort of like average those songs out, assuming that they're all about like kind of the same length and you know significance on the record. Um, yep. You know, one kind of rare instance that you have to kind of take into special account recently. I was reviewing this new album from Richard Dawson, who's this uh, you know great singer songwriter, in my opinion. And the record starts with a forty-one minute song, and then uh, the the rest of the album is like six other normal size songs. <laughs> so it's uh you know kind of hard to like rate it in the same way <laughs> that you would any other album with just kind of like a standard like track list. But you know I just try to average out the tracks, and then on top of it, I will just try to think about whatever is like kind of the overall album experience itself. You know if there's anything to be sort of like gathered from looking at the record as a whole um which sometimes there is like in the case of Tupemba butterfly and sometimes you know there's not necessarily because there's lots of great records out there that are merely just kind of like collections of tracks collections of songs that are all kind of maybe around in the same vibe or realm or whatever and you know i just try to take into account that you know zero is essentially the bottom of the barrel i couldn't have enjoyed it any less Ten is the peak threshold of enjoyment. I couldn't possibly enjoy it anymore. I couldn't possibly think of something that would make the record better. Um, and you know, five is indifference. Five is indifference. Anything lower than five is disliking. Anything above five is enjoying. And just trying to, you know, over time, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not just sort of like scoring, you know, records anymore. I'm thinking about it like in the kind of the grander scheme of my catalog. Whenever I give something a seven or, or, seven or an eight or a whatever, I'm thinking like, did I enjoy it? As much as I did these other records, like if, if I could think of like, you know, dozens of others that are from relatively popular reviews that I've scored in the same realm. And, you know, I, I, often have to kind of double check myself like that. So I, I wouldn't call it subjective by any means. You know, it's really entirely based on my feelings. I mean, it does seem like it is very kind of calculated and it is, but it's just calculated based on my own personal opinions and experiences and perspective.
0: You know, one thing interesting about that is how music changes. You know, you uh, I I read a couple of the different profiles in preparation for this about about you and, you know, you in your undergraduate studies, you did study a little bit of journalism. am, Am I right? Like you journalism, political science and broadcast communications. Yeah. So music is, at least to me, over time. The thing is about albums, what I've really enjoyed about music over the past 15 years is it feels like the longer we go, more people think about music as a story storytelling you know it's almost like a feature article now rather than like necessarily like you said a collection of songs a bunch of other things kind of thrown together in a pile and there have been some people who've done that for a while like i think about some of the nas albums etc of old or you know I'm, of, i would i would say prior. it's
2: still a very popular format i mean in, in fact i would yeah. i would say that that format is maybe more prevalent than ever with the ability for the internet to kind yes. of break things down to just kind of like a bite size you know it's like i, I don't think we've had more pop songs that are two minutes or less than than, than we than we have right now, frankly.
0: But I do think we've also seen slight renaissance on the storytelling medium too, especially in a lot of stuff you cover. A lot of the hip hop albums, in particular, have gotten extremely st- story based. I mean, Kendrick Lamar is the perfect example of this. But like, he tells a story throughout it all, and he, and he has the skits, et cetera, and runs through it. Do you think about music in that way, that it, as a storytelling device, and and it's just that you know kind of. Does it impact your criticism in terms of, of it depends on what in the intent
2: of the artist is, you know, like if somebody's just trying to, you know, I was just listening to the new Fred again album that just came out. And I mean, you know, he's a fairly competent and talented electronic music DJ and producer who dabbles in a lot of garage and house and so on and so forth. And he has a lot of great tracks and bangers on the new record, but I don't see it as a storytelling device. You know what I mean? For sure. He is trying to get something across. But, like, I don't see the album as like a narrative. You know, I I try to base that perception on whatever the person making the record is obviously or clearly trying to put forward. I mean, I think, like, as listeners and outsiders and generally the audience, there's only so much that we can know about the artist's intent. But at least in my experience, I have heard enough records to be able to tell when somebody is like telling me a story or when somebody's kind of built their artistic brand on doing so, be it Kendrick or be it like, John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats, you know, like there are lots of artists who I kind of go into their records at this point because they've been so consistent over the years, expecting some kind of concept, some kind of narrative, some kind of overarching theme. Mm. Some people are a little more averse to that, and that is fine. It's not necessarily like it's it's not a necessity, and it doesn't it does. The, the, there are a lot of albums that uh, you know. Frankly, I just came out of the review for it today, a new Stormzy record for example, that album is thematic. That album has stories that, that album has concepts. And that album also has some of the blandest fucking instrumentation I've heard all year. (laughs) And some of the most focus grouped songwriting I've heard all year as well, just because you go into something with like a concept and kind of a personal angle in mind does not mean that the music is going to come out. Great. Um, You know, storytelling is great, but it's, it's, it's not everything. If you don't have like, you know, the texture and the compositions and, you know, the interesting instrumental palettes to back it up, you know, you, you, you might as well, you know, be taking your story and kind of, you know, taking away some of its, um, you know, most personal elements because uh, you're giving it a really impersonal delivery by way of uh, the instrumentation and production.
0: You and I are aligned. I think about when you were saying that uh, pop album that I like feel that way about a little bit, that sort of like there is a theme, but then some of it's bland and then some of it is that focus group is the, uh, like the Ariana Grande album. Thank you next. It Mm -hmm. obviously has the thank you next, like very popular pop song. It's that is the focus group song. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it's got like the Mac Miller ballad, the, yeah, like it's just like oh my god, like the ghost and song, and and it's but it's just like and then it just loses its place somewhere in the middle from like an instrumentation put togetherness. Like I think it's yeah, I I, I want to ask you about that. Like, have you ever thought about lending sort of the analytical mind you have to actually producing music or working with people on music?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like my mind thinks about a lot of things. It just kind of seems like you know could be fun, could be an interesting thing to do. I've gotten a few offers to like, hey, come down to the studio and just like check out how my track is coming out and so on and so forth. But like things haven't really aligned in such a way that I've been able to actually kind of take someone up on that opportunity or to where it would actually like make sense. So you know, it, it's I've thought about it, but it hasn't happened.
0: Mm. I'd be really interested to see kind of what that works like. But although that is in a way sort of workshopping and and I guess I I don't know, good music is authentic, right? Like that in theory, mm-hmm. not popular music. Mm-hmm. You said something earlier in one of your answers. I want to touch on this a little bit because it's something I wanted to ask you about, which is like what I think most people would call the TikTokification of music. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of articles, positive, negative, etc., where like there's a ton of indie artists that get popular on something like TikTok because their music's picked up, it's funny or whatever else, right? And then they blow up and they have commercial success. That's great. That's the hero story of TikTok. The other thing is that exactly like you said earlier, that music has gotten bite-sized and like pop pop music in particular has gotten bite-sized. So to where, if it's a thirty second TikTok, it fits really well and it plays really well. in it like, does that worry you from a, a music criticism perspective that that's having a bigger impact on music? I don't really see that as TikTok's
2: fault. I think you know, I I think so. So as far as like the TikTokification of music, like I I think we've gone through kind of two eras in a way. We're we're moving out of kind of the Spotify inspired playlistification of music, where you have artists making tracks that are so goddamn bland so that they are as wallpaper as possible, so that they just fit into a playlist that's just one homogenized vibe. And then you can just like kind of move through it without skipping anything or moving to another track or going to another playlist uh, because it just kind of flows together out of just sheer blandness. There's that. The TikTokification of music, I think, has led to a lot more people and artists and producers to reevaluate the necessity of a hook or some kind of earworm or something. We need a crazy, poppy, catchy, just absolutely nutty part in the song that sort of like will stick and people will sort of like throw into a TikTok and da-da-da-da-da. Now, from there, the mess that that's created is that the artist in question will just kind of worry and focus on that one part and then the rest of the song be damned. Now, while you could attribute some of that to TikTok, you also have to attribute it to the fact that like... Spotify kind of inspires the process in that the song only needs to be a certain length for it to be of any value you know it only needs right. to be streamed to a certain extent for it to be of any value like if there was actually any larger incentive there to make the song anything else other than just like you know a little snippet with some beginning and end on it that would be different you know while i am happy and and i think it's a net positive the way that tiktok has again created a bit of a refocus on the necessity for the hook you know it's it's really kind of spotify and it's the streaming platforms and it's the delivery method that essentially says to artists hey monetarily speaking if you're making like a catchy little bop for you know the kids you're going to make way more money coming out with a song that is 1 minute and 30 seconds than you would coming out with a song that's 3 minutes and 30 seconds and like properly developed and so on and so forth um so you know it's 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 really just almost like i don't know it's it's almost like a con in a way and Mm -hmm. and sort of like you know that's that's really what kind of ruins the artistic process there well
0: that's part of the problem with streaming right like the part of the problem with streaming is that streaming has made it where to be a successful musician right unless you are like a tour behemoth and you sell out routinely your live ticket sales, which during the pandemic was not possible for anyone because just live events went nowhere. It, unless you were the live ticket behemoth to sustain on streaming, you have to be beyond viral. Viral is not good enough anymore. Like you really have to be everything because I mean, we've seen even big artists that make a lot of money, say this guy, you know, talk about this kind of stuff. And what's interesting about that is like, we're talking like, Hundreds of millions of listens to be well off in the music industry. And and I think that's different than CDs. It's different than, it's different than iTunes. Like iTunes wasn't even that way. At least, you know, there was a better value proposition there, but like streaming's completely changed the game as it comes to music monetization. Yeah. That and the
2: algorithms. I mean, you know, you say that virality isn't enough, you know, on the internet now, because of all the various platforms and, you know, different social media sites and pipelines that you could become popular within. There's different levels of virality and there's different kinds of virality. Like you can have a track and I've seen people like this on TikTok before. It happens all the time. You could have a track that literally within a matter of days, because of the fact that it gets, you know, turned into a meme or a sound or a this or that, you know, essentially just goes platinum, you know, within a matter of moments, like literally an overnight, you know, platinum hit. But through the process of that, the person who made the song, while they do get attribution, obviously they're getting that platinum plaque. Obviously they are getting streams off of the track. It's almost like the popularity kind of comes down to the song and not so much the person who made it. And right. so that's like almost like a disconnect between that person and the popularity of the thing they created. And that doesn't necessarily mean, Oh, hey, you like this thing that I made? Like, come on, come on over here. Pay attention to this other stuff, you know, especially on the TikTok platform that they, they essentially make it difficult to kind of like enter into. Kind of the conversation as the creator of something, and say, "Hey, I made this thing that all of you really like. Come and check out these other things that I that I that I did." It almost like kind of puts a certain kind of virality in a vacuum. You know what I mean? Just because a certain mm-hmm. thing that you do or created uh, gains viral success does not necessarily mean that there is personal interest in you. You know, or that people are attaching that thing that they enjoy to you or associating it with you. Um, which I, I I do find a little disturbing, you know, uh, because I mean, that's like potentially somebody's livelihood that you're ripping from them. You're you're giving them a platinum song, but you're not actually giving them the benefit of being able to gain an audience off the popularity of that. Because, uh, you know, again, th- these these kinds of tracks are popping off all the time. And, you know, these people get stuck with these plaques. But then after that, they they are not a household name. They're not well known. Maybe a label is like willing to Sign them, but you know, most likely they're not going to get like a great deal because they know that they probably have very little in terms of audience or following and that the likelihood of them getting another track that is that hot is probably low. And they're just going to come in and buy the rights to the song, their most popular song probably, and then own the rights to that and then screw them on royalties for everything else that they make. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a pretty ugly pretty ugly system you know i mean it's something similar happened to me with sort of the whole weird pizza thing on tiktok with the too many slices sound which i did yep and you know it's like at the end of the day it's no skin off my ass because like i have so many other irons in the fire going on i don't really give a shit what happens with the sound of me yelling at a pizza or whatever but it's just really funny how that sort of went so far and wide and hit so many people that there's like millions of people that know that sound that have no idea that i made it you know what i mean? Yep. Which, like, again, I, I already have so many other things going on for me. It's not like you know, killing me that uh, that's not associated with me. But for somebody who literally has nothing to their name other than hey, I have this popular song on TikTok or this popular sound, you know, and for them to yep. not see any kind of benefit off of that whatsoever, like that's terrible. That's awful. Not every not everybody's well, in the position that I'm in.
0: Right. And, well, and for musicians, it's not just good enough to be a good musician anymore. You have to be like a marketer, a marketer and you have to think about this, right? Like it's, it's this like multi brain. I think about Lil Nas X about when you, when you're talking about that, right? Another person that became extremely viral for being TikTok sound originally with Old Town Road, the original Old Town Road and then parlayed that into other songs, but also was really, really wise about how he marketed himself too. And has always been, whether it be the shoe that, you know, sort of evoked Christian evangelical hate and. You know, everything else and continuing just recently did the campaign with League of Legends as well and, and sort of marketing themselves to gamers in a different way. Like, it's not good enough to just be a good musician anymore. Truly had to be a marketing person. And I, I think I feel bad for artists, to be honest. Like, it, it's a, it's a tough game out there. It's, it is really difficult. Some of them are really good at it, like Doge Cat, et cetera. But like, God, some of, some of them just like, I just don't think it's, it's not fair. It's not fair to them to have to be like that. We're
2: just in a transitional moment right now where, you know, We've reached a new paradigm in social media, where being internet savvy means knowing certain types of memes, lingo, formats, social media platforms, and most of the artists who popped off and made great records in, who are still relevant from the '80s and '90s and 2000s, you know, they they, they pretty much only know maybe and sort of understand a social media version 1.0. You know, it's like they, they kind of get Twitter at this point, you know, but like yep. uh, to ask them to do something that would make any kind of headway on TikTok, like it's it's like speaking another language. And, and, I, and I get it because the thing is, I myself have seen success on the platform and now have like a million followers on there and have had multiple videos that, you know, rack up tons of views. But uh, that's only because I ended up linking up with someone much younger than me who understood the platform and was like, I think you do well on there. Let me explain it to you. Um, and, you know, and through trial and error and making lots of different types of content and just kind of, you know, throwing shit at a wall for months and months and months on end. Um, you know, eventually we found kind of a rhythm and something that clicks, you know what I mean? Whereas like not everybody has the time or effort or will or desire to want to do that. You know, a lot of artists just want to make the art that they made their career making, you know? Um, you know, if, if, if anything, I, I mean, I mean, what's, what's actually going to end up happening is that it's going to be sink or swim. And the artists who are going to see the most success moving forward are going to be the young ones who are already internet savvy and don't need to be told what Correct. to do. Right. That's what's going to happen. What actually should be happening is the labels should be figuring it out on the artist's behalf and directing them in such a way where it is so easy, convenient and simple. Because, you know, if like they were, Asking some artist or some band to go promote their shit over on like the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Like obviously there would be some kind of rundown or explanation or some kind of like, you know, uh, agreement between, you know, the, the media outlet and, you know, the artists and the parties involved. It's like, what's going to happen? What's on, you know, what's, what's worth talking about? What's not? What are we going to address? You know, what's on the table? Like there would be some kind of liaison work going on. But like, as far as TikTok goes, they're like, just get on there and do stuff. You know, and you know, that's, that's not always like, well, not all, not always. That, that's, that's not conducive to, you know, a successful social media uh, campaign.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. You're, you're talking to somebody whose most popular TikTok video is Ludwig Ogren trolling a sea of thieves developer on this very podcast live and making a decent nuts joke. I, I hear you. I understand. It's like, that's not the body of work, but sure. Like, great. I'm glad he did it. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. I like the platform is so beneficial and I wanted, More broadly for visibility, but I did want to ask you, because I'm curious how much you track this, how much is like that time you're investing in things like Instagram and TikTok creating sort of that content that is not the traditional like Fantano critique or Fantano critique on the music for the Needle Drop channel or Fantano commentary for the Fantano channel. Like, is that actually converting? Are you able to track if if the TikTok and Instagram time is like actually converting into what makes you real money and and is worth your time? The TikTok pay is the worst
2: honestly like it's terrible it's trash it's garbage but the pay on Instagram is better and now we've just recently monetized over on YouTube shorts and it's 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 really about embracing a format because even before you know just as I was getting on TikTok that's when Instagram started copying everything that TikTok was doing and that was like saying to me like okay like literally every major social media platform is probably going to copy this to some degree or another um you know this is obviously the pipeline and the place to be i see it as almost like a form of you know pr work because on that platform while it doesn't convert monetarily in the same way that youtube does it does give me like more than let me see how many how many like I think over the last 28 days, I could be wrong. I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. I think over the last 28 days, I got somewhere between 40 and 50 million views on my TikTok page. And, you know, while there's pages out there that get a lot more, that's still much more than what both my YouTube channels do combined. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's at least getting me out there in a way that YouTube is not, you know what I mean? And it's still creating like a general awareness of what I do and sense of what I do. Even if I'm not literally putting like the reviews in front of people's faces, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, there, there is value in that. And now again, with that format becoming more and more popular, it does create an, you know, an, an ability to actually monetize it in a legitimate way. Because, you know, as, as far as the monetization of that kind of short form scroll forever, you know, kind of format goes, YouTube's doing a lot better. Instagram's doing a lot better. So, you know, it's, I'm I'm glad, I'm glad I jumped on it. You know, I'm I'm glad I jumped on it. I'm glad I jumped in it. You know, I I think I'm, I'm still kind of learning the ropes in terms of, you know, being able to figure out how to like, you know, convert the stuff that's happening on my page to literal, Hey, go check out the review that I'm doing.
0: That's what you I was know. about to ask about is, yeah. I is mean, being the, able to send them to the thing that is your like core product if we want to think it that way. Right.
2: Exactly. I mean, there is a link on my page for, for people to go check out my YouTube, my YouTube channel.
0: You know? So there is that. And, and that has
2: to be and probably is working to a degree, you know, but like as far as I've been able to see so far, the best conversions that you get off of TikTok are either music because when people hear a sound on there, they go look it up and they go stream it or OnlyFans. <laughs> Because if you're on there, people (laughs) think you're hot. They're they're looking for your freaking OnlyFans page.
0: I want to talk to you first about becoming a part of the culture. And truly, you know, the traditional music critic, it was... Uh, New York Times music critic or whatever of old paper, big paper music critic, right? The the writer. It didn't really matter if they were a part of the culture in a way. Social media has changed that dynamic between artist, critic, etc. Some of them had ins and would get scoops or whatever, right? Like that's kind of more reporters, but would get scoops because they were kind of in with an artist or whatever. But you know, I th- I think originally, because you just started doing it because you enjoyed doing it, you were like wholly independent, not connected, kind of with with these artists. And over time I've seen you do more interviews with artists, etc. Like I watched your Japanese Breakfast interview prior to Austin City Limits this year because I saw her live and I like wanted to like hear what she had to say about her music prior to going to see her. So I watched your interview. Um and more recently, which I really want to talk about this a little bit, is uh the interaction you had with Drake uh with him messaging you, obviously one of the biggest artists in the world. And insulting you, and and kind of coming after you privately, and you just gave him a music critique. Like I don't even think you even said anything particularly offensive. So like the or that would offend him, not even like tr- offensive in the traditional sense. But uh, so talk to me about that. sort of becoming a bigger part of the ecosystem and how that di- social media and the way that you create content changes that dynamic with artists.
2: I can't even tell you. Like I, it's I'm I'm so oblivious to it most of the time. And because all of it's happening on the internet, I, I have an interesting, and I talk to my friends about this. I have, I have an interesting kind of fame where obviously there's like people who, uh, hang on my every word and they're obsessed with everything that I say. And sometimes they want me to die. Um, and sometimes they pop in my DMS and threaten me and go psychotic and so on and so forth. Like, and this is all on the internet, but simultaneously I can still go to the grocery store and just like not be bothered and nobody cares. And I'm just like literally another mm. uh, fuck, you know, inside the pasta aisle. Which I, I like. I think that's great. I don't ever want to not be able to just go in the pasta aisle without being, you know, sort of accosted about a, a six out of ten that I gave something. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so I mean, it, the, it, it's it's kind of weird to feel like I'm part of the culture, as it were, because like uh, I, I don't even know what to. I can't even quantifiably tell you to what degree that is. You know, there's there's like no number for it. You know, like, obviously I'm, I'm probably the only music critic that Drake is attacking in the DMs, but like, <laughs> yeah. what, you know, what does what does that really mean in terms of a numbers perspective? You know, it's like, how how do you, how do you quantify that in terms of like my level of influence or significance or importance or whatever? I have no idea. I have no clue. Um, You know, I, I think, I I think I'm in a very unique position that nobody else is in and nobody else has been in and i sort of take solace in that i take solace in the fact that i'm in a unique position i think i'm a part of the conversation you know I'll, I'll i'll say that i'm definitely a part of the conversation like the general music discourse uh i am definitely a part of in terms of the things that i say the anticipation for whatever i'm going to say the reactions to the things that i say that people have and even down to if i go on some kind of user generated music review site or something like that i see people throwing down like you know multi-paragraph reviews and they'll end it off like yep i'm kind of feeling a light eight on this one and it's, you know it's just funny to kind mm-hmm. of see my scoring system kind of casually turning up in people's kind of vocabulary you know what i mean um much yeah. in the same way that people might decimal point something as they were kind of maybe more of like a pitchwork reader or something like that um so you know it's 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 definitely interesting it's it's interesting to be a part of the conversation and that's really all that my goal ever was, you know, but the thing is like at the end of the day, when I first started this and obviously the the point was to get an audience, I, I thought that the impact, the degree to which I would have an impact on it would always be like super, 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 super. And, and it still is to a degree like super localized. You know what I mean? Like I never thought in, you know, even the craziest wildest dreams that I have that multi-platinum selling rappers would be like, you know, (laughs) curious about what I have to say and, you know, like, you know, either, either to compliment me or attack me, you know? So, you know, that's, it's different. It's interesting.
0: Did that specific interaction with Drake change the way, especially because he, you know, made a comment about your, you and your wife and kind of came at the personal attack slant too did that change the way that you were thinking about how harshly you create critique music in some cases? No,
2: no, I, there was, there was no, there was no reason for that. You know, there was, there was no reason for that. Honestly. I mean, you know, granted um, I have sort of like shared quite a few Drake memes on the internet and I have obviously like, you know, endorsed and had my own commentary on things like the push a T diss track, for example, you know what I mean? Sure, um, you know, but never at any point in a review have I ever been like, "Fuck Drake, he's trash, he's the worst thing that's ever happened." That you know, it's like and and sort of you know attack his yeah. loved ones or family or his kid or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't have like beef with the guy like that, nor do I have beef with any guy like that in the music industry. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I think he went a little far with that, honestly, and it was just kind of, you know, it it struck me as just more weird than hurtful. It was just like a very odd Mm. thing to kind of, you know, obsess over, especially for a guy whose own dating history is all over the Internet and, you know, made a big deal of for a myriad of different reasons, some of which, frankly, are kind of embarrassing. Uh, It just sort of seems like an odd thing for him to focus on with somebody else, despite, you know, kind of the glass house that he lives in on on that very top. Crazy to
0: me that that I mean. Crazy and not crazy because I also deal with internet creators who are very sensitive about what people like me, a reporter say, say about them. So I understand. I the thing that I've always said to people, like, you know, even billionaires who have called me and yelled at me for something I wrote about their businesses and, and whatever it may be. Like, I'm just like, You should be thankful that I care. That's it, man. Like, you're worth my time. Like, that's what it means, like when I when I write like something about what they're doing. And I think it's it's almost, it's the same with you. Like, I mean, especially if, with Drake or whatever else, like with the, the massive artists, maybe that's a little different, but especially the people that like would get upset that are sort of in that middle to high tier. Be like, Anthony Fantano cares about your music. That should say something. He cared enough to make a video about your music. Yeah,
2: you know, it's not even the negative reaction. I mean, I welcome a negative reaction if it's in regards to the substance of what I actually said. You know, I recently did an interview with Joey Badass, and I can I can, if you want to throw a question in here from a viewer, I can really only do this for maybe five more minutes. Um, five to ten more minutes uh, but i did an interview with joey badass recently and he just like you know in his own way he kind of called me out on the review because he said like hey there was this one track on the record about capital steez and my cousin and let me clarify this did that make you cry because i listened to it on stream and i cried in reaction to the track and i said yeah yeah it did made me cry and he says and you gave my shit a seven you give my shit a fucking seven <laughs> And that song made you fucking cry. And I said, well, I mean, there were other tracks that I felt other ways about on the record and da, 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 da. But he said like, well, you know, but still it it elicit an emotion from you and it should get, it should get extra points and da, 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 da. And you know, the thing is like, that's a valid argument. That's his perspective. That's his feelings. And he can get mad about it. He can throw it in my face. He could argue it. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's all fair game because it's, it's, it's in, it's in reaction to the things I actually said in my own perspective. You know, it would be another thing if he said you gave my shit a 7 and it you know, this on your mom, this on your dad, this on your brother, this on this, you know, that that would just be like ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like get heated, get crazy, have a reaction, have a response, you know, have an opinion, call me out, whatever you want to do. As long as it's actually in response to the substance of what I've said, you know? I welcome any yep. and all reactions and detractors and so on and so forth. Like, you know, I, I've done nothing but get hell on the internet for the past 10 years for like various opinions that i've had i'm not afraid of another fucker (laughs) you know 20 (laughs) 20 million 30 million 500 followers or not with a take on something i said you know it's go for it you know like it's that's is is it not the point i'm not putting out the things that i say like i'm not an idiot i'm not putting out the things that i say with the assumption there will be no discussion of it That it's like, I'm, I'm I'm not under the presumption that the discourse stops with me. Like, obviously, like, I see what I do is just, you know, like, kind of like, I'm sort of like lighting the tinder, you know what I mean? And from there, the conversation, I'm not the conversation starter, but like, I certainly jump in and I get people kind of like bouncing back and forth. I give people pause. I give people the ability to kind of think more about why it is they like or dislike something, you know? It's 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 again, it's a part of it's a part of discourse. I welcome and I expect discourse to to happen, you know, and I expect dissatisfaction to happen in regards to things that I say. And if you're an artist and you're dissatisfied with the take that I have, I mean say everything that you want, as long as it's like actually in response to uh the
0: take. Yeah, I I think that's that's totally fair game. Like there is a, a level that of respect that is <laughs> Yeah, they, I I wouldn't mind anybody debating me about the work itself. When it starts to get personal and weird, it's that's not cool. Hands off. We do have a listener question, so this would be the time to turn up your phone. Fantano, just from Dante. I believe they wanted to come ask, based on what they told my staff. But if not, we'll give them a couple seconds to get up here. If not, I'll read it. They typed it out for us. So, all right, we're gonna read it. Sorry, Time's Dante. Up. Time's up. So the question is. Hi, I want to ask Fantano about the number ratings versus word descriptions and how it impacts the experience of an album going into it. I also want to ask how audience and culture and other factors influence his opinions, which is, yeah, what, what I sort of was asking a second ago, but go ahead.
2: Yeah. No, that's, that's kind of a dense topic. I mean, I'll, I'll say that when I am reviewing something, I, I feel like there's a degree to which you could do this to where it's detrimental to where you're kind of just like kind of burying your head in the sand. But uh, when it comes to a lot of general opinions of a record kind of discourse, especially when it just comes out, I try to avoid a lot of that stuff. You know, I I try to avoid as much of that as possible just so I'm not kind of coming into the album with too many preconceptions. You know what I mean? Um, Now that stuff can certainly, and has impacted maybe the way that I see things over kind of like the long term. And I've made videos here and there where I've changed my opinions on like, you know, a handful of records, maybe 10 or 15 or so. And I sort of like, you know, talk about how I would enjoy the album more now or less and so on and so forth. So it happens, you know, it happens, you know, because opinions are just based on perspective and experience. And, you know, listening to an album more, be it in a way where it grows on you or even becomes boring to you, you know, is is one of many things that can kind of change your opinion of something over over the years and over time. So, I mean, you know, all those things, all those things factor, though I would say in my opinion, they factor a lot more in, at least for me personally, because I try to avoid that shit. They they factor more for me in the long term than they do the short term. You know, when it comes to getting the review out, I just kind of focus on, I try to focus on whatever is just genuinely my personal intimate experience with the record and leave it at that. Anything else that's kind of coming into play, unless it's something that's being like literally talked about or addressed on the album itself within its content, I try not to, you know, kind of uh, obsess over too much.
0: Got it. Makes sense. The last question I'm going to read too, because I said the invite didn't go through. Uh, this is from Case Baylor, which is the question. What sources did Fantano use when he was first cutting his teeth in music critiquing? 4chan, rate your music, etc. That's actually kind of
2: funny. I was thinking about exactly this the other day. I used to use, I don't know how many people ever did this. I used to use the website quite a bit allmusic.com hmm. and it's still up it's still a website um it was it was kind of like I wasn't on rate your music yet and and while I was on the music board on 4chan I I wouldn't necessarily have called it like a a resource in terms of like I don't know what that <laughs> yeah. like like a, like accurate information like <laughs> I wouldn't be like I have a question about this artist's trajectory and back history let let me check 4chan you know for for the most accurate information that anybody could have access to. I, I, I wouldn't call it a resource. <laughs> like I, so, so I would use allmusic.com quite a bit back then to just sort of like see maybe like what the overall catalog of an artist is and so on and so forth. And I used to use that site so much. I forget how I did it. I used to have to change my IP or sort of like do, do like some kind of VPN switcheroo because I, they had something in the TOS to where you could only use it so often because they they didn't want sort of like professional music journalists to be using it as like a resource or something. So I used to use it so often that like I would get banned from using it. And you were a power user. Yeah, yeah, I was a power (laughs) user. So I would need to like, you know, come back and, and whatever. Um, and you know, I mean, granted I, I was like doing it like quote unquote professionally, but I wasn't really making a living off of it at the time. And I was independent. So it's not like, you know, I was a I was, I, I was, I was still a sort of like a passionate fan or whatever, kind of just like doing it out of the, you know, uh, desire to sort of like take it somewhere and just the, the, you know, the interest in doing it personally. But, um, but yeah, I used to use allmusic.com a lot, but then obviously over time, like my resources kind of expanded, uh, you know, I, I was using some of those other sites that, you know, uh, uh that person had, had listed there, you know, honestly, when I got into this, like I didn't, I, I, I didn't get into this sort of being like somebody who was super well you know, accustomed to reading music reviews all the time. You know, it's not like I had a favorite music writer or publication that was like my favorite, you know, like the experiences that, you know, prior to starting The Needle Drop that I looked upon the most fondly, the most to me as far as music exposure were conversations, like literal face-to-face conversations that I had with people who were super deep or super passionate about certain genres or styles or artists that I knew nothing of you know, be that either through like a music nerd friend who I met somewhere or somebody who worked at a record store or of the variety of people and conversations that I had and was affiliated with or just sort of like involved in at my college radio station, you know, because people there had indie shows and metal shows and hip hop shows and punk shows and so on and so forth and knew everything about, you know, all the stuff that they were playing. Um, you know, so like that idea of like kind of a larger discourse and a community around something Um, always interested me the most as far as like kind of diving into music and and learning about it as, uh, as, as a thing. Because I mean, you know, music, you know, music, music culture is a, is a communal thing, you know? And, and again, I think that, that, um, uh, is expressed best through conversation or discourse with other people who are just as passionate about the, you know, the, 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 the art that it is that you're talking about. Not, not like. While what I do has become this in a sense, but like, you know, I, I didn't look up to kind of faceless logos and brands sort of, you know, coming down from on high and just being like, this is good. This is not, this is good. This is not, you know, what mattered more to me was what did my collective of friends think about it? You know, did they think it was good? Did they think it was bad? No, that was more interesting to me than whether or not something got like a, you know, eight point whatever on pitchfork, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I then later in life had to come back around and sort of like, start observing these business models in order to kind of apply it to what I do, you know, but that's, that's not where my heart lied prior, just as like a music fan, you know?
0: That's all for our show. If You enjoyed this episode of visionaries. You can find more like it on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out our back library. We have an incredible set of different interviews from people like Fantano, Ludwig Ogren, Ben Brode, all sorts of different people from gaming, new media, and the internet. Special thanks to Cecilia Ciochetti, Prem Kara, and Sammy Daig for their help with this episode. We'll be back next
1: week.